wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&Day. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, this is a show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also presenter of Drive Time every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's a real privilege to be able to share with you. Now, folks, this week we're following a Christmas theme. Christmas, the countdown to Christmas is certainly on. On Monday, uh, we asked that uh, that question uh, that so many have brought up with me behind that behind the scenes should we celebrate christmas and is christmas pagan i really appreciated what my good mates pastor will and pastor brenton uh, were able to share uh, then and look if you want to have a look at that program you can go back just go onto your app hit the uh, uh, drive time look for monday's program and uh, you can pick up all that they did actually share now yesterday uh, we asked the question does the old testament really for tell Jesus Christ. Now this was this is so important because in this particular program we were able to dig into some of the wonderful prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. And today we want to ask another question concerning this season. Is Jesus just a myth? like Santa. Uh, there are so many uh, who don't actually believe Jesus was a real person. We want to look into the empirical evidence. Uh, what is the evidence out there, the historical evidence, the archaeological evidence uh, to say that Jesus Christ did actually exist? Now, our host today, uh, as our host, we're going to be hearing from our regular Wednesday co-host, and that's Pastor David Butcher. And David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Australia. Now, welcome to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary. I'm looking forward to holidays. I'm not sure about you. I tell you what, the countdown is certainly is certainly on. Tell me, how do the butchers celebrate Christmas? Yeah, really good question, Gary. Um, I must say this particular well, look, it's it's generally fairly laid back and yeah. nothing highly structured. We we gather as a family either in Adelaide or Melbourne, depending on which year it is. Yeah. With um, in Melbourne, it's my siblings and 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 partners that sort of thing, because my parents have both uh, sadly passed away, but died in the hope of of the resurrection. And um, in Adelaide, if it's that particular year, it's uh, with family and nieces and nephews, etc. And but yeah, look, it's it's really really about coming together. It's food, it's fellowship. There are gifts as well. But uh, I must say this year, um, we've landscaped our front garden and uh, my wife has been putting up uh, little lead lights all through the garden and all those sorts of things and over the fence and all that. So your house actually twinkles. It does, all on solar, I must say. We actually go out, do you realise, on a, a, it's a little bit of a a tradition. Normally it's about Christmas Eve, you know, a few, you know, myself and my wife and we used to have our kids when they were at home, and we'd actually just you know uh, drive around town to actually have a look at uh, all these uh, these lights uh, that they're actually up. They really do look something. Look, uh, and, and I know having lived in Melbourne, there is a street in uh, Melbourne, and I'm sure in every city, any any capital city, there is streets that are known or suburbs yeah. that are known for yeah. for that. And I know here in Adelaide, there's um, well up in the hills, there's a place at Lobethal, but also uh, we've found one at a place called College Park. 
mm-hmm. uh, in around there and they have ice cream vans and all sorts, fairy floss, and people just walk the streets and they've got it's, – it's quite big. Ah, uh, look, it, it, it certainly is a wonderful time of the year. I mean, I know my wife always sort of uh, looks for those streets where uh, there's, uh, there's some people out the front selling some baked goods or something like that and, uh, you know, goes and chats to, to those to those individuals. I know over in uh, in Melbourne, and I, I, you, you come from Melbourne, you know a lot more about this than what I do, there's a thing called the Road to Bethlehem. And... Uh, that's that's something I know my my brothers I, I know we've just had that now but uh, my uh, uh, my brother uh, he actually dresses up as a tax collector and I, I laugh every year because I think <laughs> uh, Pete look this uh, this really does suit you so well dress up as a tax collector because he takes the offerings you know from from people as they go around He'd like that what he? what is the road to Bethlehem yeah look Gary um I must admit I have um. Uh, my last church that I served in, Nutter Wadding Church in Melbourne, which was just an incredible and is an incredible church. We were just so loved and blessed and God-blessed. But uh, they began Road to Bethlehem in Australia, yeah, yeah. and um, it's now shifted onto a church school site. It used to be on a convention ground. A- and essentially, you move around um, thematically through the, the story of the virgin birth and Jesus, and the, the shepherds uh, were out at night and the angel, and it's just it's so well done. It's mm. all mm. dry. Dramatized people are in period costume, but um, ultimately, and, and in Melbourne, I think you know they get some huge numbers over yeah, three or four yeah, nights, and yeah. I don't know what the numbers are. They'd have to be probably fifteen thousand or more people yeah, go through, yeah, yeah. and um, they give away little gift bags with all sorts of things in. So, um, if you want to look up Road to Bethlehem. So if people happen to be in Melbourne, uh, well, no, that, that actually, well, that's already happened. It actually. has already happened. happened for it this has. year. It has, yeah. It has already happened. We don't live in Melbourne, so we've missed it. But yeah. um, keep a lookout for Road to Bethlehem in future years. And all across Australia, there are a number of places that do it. Another church that I pastored in Mildura, they do it yeah. over two or three nights as well. So look up Road to Bethlehem and find your local one. It's well worth um, visiting next year in uh, December 2024 yeah, yeah. as you Right, Gary. Um, they've already run it this year in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, Dave, let's come to our World Watch segment. And because it's Christmas time, we want to look at some really positive things that are happening within our world uh, right uh, right now. And uh, this uh, this particular article comes from the Sunny so- Sunny Skies uh, website. And this is a website that only deals with positive stories. Now, look, guys, if you want to actually look at a, a positive story, a positive illustration, Sunny Skies... S-U-N-N-Y-S-K-Y-Z uh, is a really beautiful little site to uh, to go on uh, because you get uplifting uh, stories uh, of uh, uh, of a human interest uh, variety. You'll really love some of the material that uh, that's actually on there. But uh, on that particular site, uh, there was uh, uh, this uh, this little story. Once upon a time, in a small bustling town, there lived a woman named Emily. Emily was known for her warm smile and her compassionate heart, despite facing life's challenges, she carried the aura of gratitude and inspired the entire town. One day, Emily uh, stumbled upon an old dusty jar in the corner of an antique shop. Intrigued, she picked it up and noticed a small label that read, The Gratitude Jar. The shopkeeper explained that the jar was meant for collecting moments of gratitude, tiny notes that captured the essence of thankfulness. Excited by the idea, Emily decided to embark on a journey of gratitude. Each day, 
Before the sun dipped below the horizon, she'd sit down with her gratitude jar and reflect on the blessings of the day. From the warmth of the morning sun to the laughter of the children playing in the park, Emily found joy in an abundance of simple things. As the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months, Emily's jar began to fill with an abundance of gratitude. She marvelled at how her perspective on life had shifted. Instead of dwelling on what she lacked, Emily focused on the richness of everything she had, the love of family, the support of friends, the beauty of the world around her. In a chilly autumn evening, then Emily faced an unexpected challenge. The news of a job loss cast a shadow over her sunny disposition. Feeling a mix of uncertainty and fear, Emily sat down with her gratitude jar, wondering if she could find anything to be thankful for in such a such a trying time. As she read through the notes in the jar, something magical happened. Each tiny piece of gratitude became a beacon of hope, a reminder that even in difficult times, There's always something to appreciate. Emily found solace in the support of her loved ones, the strength within herself and countless blessings that had woven themselves into the fabric of her life. She encouraged others to embrace gratitude as a way of life, emphasising that even in the darkest moments, a glimmer of light could be found through a thankful heart. Do you know, David, when I was actually uh, first read that, that that particular article, it said something to me because uh, uh, I, I'm conscious that uh, we live in a country that I, I believe is abundantly, abundantly blessed. And yet it's so easy uh, for us to actually uh, pick up on, on the negatives. Uh, and I certainly as I've travelled overseas, you know, I've had the privilege to go overseas on numerous occasions and uh, I've certainly gone to some uh, third world countries. And, you know, I mean, we may may complain even about our, our medical system here in Australia, but when you see where others are actually uh, coming from, uh, you realise how abundantly blessed uh, we really are. Look, do you think there's a lesson in this story uh, for us? I mean, what is it saying to us today? You are correct, Gary. We live in such an abundant uh, country uh, at a at a time that is far easier, you know, our, our, our world is not caught up in a global war. Yeah. Spiritually it is, but not physically. Um, we're not going through a Great Depression. Now, let's not um, minimise and downplay the challenges that there are many, many people in Australia facing homelessness and uh, have their homes taken off them and not being able to find homes, etc., and food. So there still is problems here, clearly, but as a country we are uh, known as the lucky country. And, Gary, in spite of all that, um, there are more people probably on antidepressants uh, there is more mental health challenges for a whole yeah. variety of reasons. Yeah. The world, in many ways, is becoming harder to live in yeah. because of expectations and because of all sorts of things. And so in our family, one of the, the, the memorable things that I guess or rituals that we've established is, you know, with family worship in the evening is what are we thankful for? What did we mm-hmm. enjoy? And, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
our family, like any family, has had some challenging times, and, and this year in particular. Um, and, and yet, even in the last couple of weeks, Gary, and yet, you know, I was speaking to Megan, my wife, and I said, in spite of this, this, and this, and, and she's done exactly the same, we've said, what about this? Yeah. This is an answer yeah. to prayer. Yeah. This is a movement forward. This is God working. And, and so I believe that people are, are better emotionally, uh, are better mentally, when we can always look for the positive. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where gratitude comes in. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's how God made us. I, I think it is. It actually does something for for us. You know, one of the one of the people in the New Testament that I love, I, I really appreciate, is a man called Barnabas. Uh, you know, I mean, he's actually a man that, uh, in fact, when you first read about him in about chapter five or six, there, uh, it actually talks about you know, and Joseph having a uh, a plot of land, he sold it and gave it to the apostles. And you know, I actually say to people when uh, I first mention, I. And if any of you heard Joseph, and um, um, and everyone looks at me, no, I never heard Joseph. But the next line reads, "Who was also named Barnabas by the apostles." In other words, mm. Barnabas was actually a nickname for this man Joseph. That's right, and he's, he's, he was a Levite from Cyprus. He, he's a, he, so he's a part of the Jews of the dispersion, exactly. And and yeah, I mean, fancy. I mean, I've been given nicknames, some of which. But why has he had his name changed? Because of his character, because of his positive uh, influence on other people. And, and Gary, uh, I'd like to pull out a couple of things about Barnabas, uh, son of encouragement. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wonderful uh, um, to be known while you're living as an encourager or as someone that is, is incredibly uh, full of gratitude? Barnabas, yeah, he um, first comes on the scene in Acts 4.37, as you've said, and he was a good man. Um, Acts 11.24 says, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Uh, Luke also refers to who, refers to him in, in Acts 13 verse 1 as a prophet. So this is a godly man, um, and, and yet he's the son of encouragement. He, as you said, he'd sold this property and um, given the proceeds to those in need within the church. What I like about Barnabas, he was an encourager to the outsiders. Mm. For instance... Um, When the word of God, um, when persecution occurs in Acts chapter 8, all except the apostles are dispersed throughout Judea and Samaria. Mm. And um, he comes along and um, when news reaches the apostles in Jerusalem that Antioch is a place where the Holy Spirit's working, who do they send? Barnabas, Barnabas, the encourager. And he goes there and he sees what's happening and he encourages them and he blesses them and he ministers to them. But then he goes and he finds someone to help him, Saul. Saul, a persecutor who who later became referred to as Paul. Saul, the the killer. Saul, the person that uh, was full of this uh, driven by, Mm. by, well, uh, by Satan to... uh, Grab women and children and men in chains all the way from Jerusalem to Damascus. Throw them into prison. Throw them into prison. Uh, He calls himself the chief of sinners later in life, Paul does. And and yet Barnabas, the son of encouragement, goes to this formidable man that the apostles were scared of and he encourages him. He encourages Saul. So much so that later on when it comes to um, 
Saul coming later called Paul to Jerusalem, the apostles are scared of him. Still. Still scared of him. They've heard about him. Mm. And it's Barnabas that is the connector between Paul, who was Saul, now and the apostles. Yeah, yeah. He was a connector. And then later on, Barnabas, we find, is an encourager to a failure. John Mark. Mm, mm, you know, mm. Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary journey. And, um, later on, Bar- uh, John Mark comes along and, and Paul is not happy. I mean, Paul wouldn't be a, an easy guy to live with, I wouldn't think, no, would he? No, no. And you, you don't want to be living with Paul, but Barnabas is somebody that, hey, it would be so easy to live with. He would. And so Paul basically gets rid of John Mark. He says, I'm not wanting him. Yeah. Gets rid of him, and Barnabas picks him up. Later on, years later, Paul calls John Mark one of his most trusted um, yeah. helpers. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a really beautiful story, but you know, it comes from this uh, ability to express gratitude and thanks. Mm. Do you know? Sometimes I've actually said, well, when I've preached on the the whole subject of spiritual gifts in in my church, I've actually shared with people. I've said to me in the church there are two absolutely vital gifts that have to be existent. If they're not existent, the church will die, and uh, the two that I constantly come back to is hospitality mm. and encouragement. Yep. They're the two. I've, I've shared, you know, a person might be a fantastic evangelist, but if hospitality and uh, encouragement is not present, the church will not grow. But if a church has hospitality and encouragement present, the church will grow whether or not there is actually an evangelist actually operating in that town. You know, I agree with that, Gary. And, um, you know, I think it's really important every day, no matter what circumstance we're in, and it could be harder for some than others, but to look for things that have occurred where we have been blessed. Indeed, indeed. Look, let's come to some music. Uh, this is, uh, in fact, let's have some Christmas music. This is uh, uh, Charlie uh, Lansborough, and uh, this is uh, that uh, that wonderful uh, Christmas uh, carol, Once in Royal David's uh, David City. Please, uh, please enjoy.
Oh, 
us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. And that's Charlie Lansborough. Once in Royal David City with a little town of, uh, of, of Bethlehem. It's that time of the year again. And, uh, isn't it a wonderful time to be able to remember, uh, the, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ? I know you don't see much of that in the uh, shopping centers of today, but, uh, we want to give it a major emphasis here on, uh, Faith FM. Now, folks, we do have a giveaway. Our gift to you, uh, this, uh, this week is a book, uh, Knowing Jesus, Knowing God by David Marshall. This book is all about Jesus. It reveals his personality, the reasons why we can believe in him and depend on him, and how we can accept his salvation. By knowing Jesus, we know God. When we know God, the miracle at the heart of the Christian gospel really begins to live in our lives. Uh, now, look, guys, this is a book that will encourage you. This is a devotional book that's not a heavy book. It's an easy-to-read book. Uh, you'll love this particular uh, book. The book's entitled Knowing Jesus, Knowing God. Now, look, if you would like this particular book, all you need to do is to text us at our studio text number, and our studio text number is 04888 80811. That number again is 04888 80811 and all you need to do is to put in your text five digits in a row and that's SA for South Australia 150 SA 150 just text us SA 150 to 04888811 80811 and that'll put you in contact with our robot. Our robot will ask you a couple of questions and, uh, that, uh, that means we'll have, um, enough, uh, information so that, uh, we can, uh, get this book to you in the fastest uh, way possible. I believe you'll greatly appreciate, uh, this book, Knowing Jesus, Knowing Good God by David Marshall, uh, 04888 80811 and the code is SA150. Now folks, you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And today my co-host is Pastor David Butcher and he's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Australia. And uh, this week we're following a Christmas theme and today we're asking that question, is Jesus a myth like Santa? Uh, now, David, we're well and truly into the Christmas season now. Uh, Christmas uh, reruns are certainly all on telly. The stores are decked with uh, images of uh, Christmas trees covered in uh, covered in snow. And here in Adelaide, uh, Santa has already arrived, uh, probably six weeks ago, I think it was, um, at the Christmas pageant. Uh, then, um, I, I was wandering through the, uh, uh, the stores that I, I frequent the other day and I noticed that you can actually phone Santa free at Telstra payphones and at my local shopping centre you can actually post letters to, to Santa. 
Now, all of this is there to support what is in reality a fable or a, or a myth. Now, look, David, uh, some would say Christ is also a fable, just like Santa. Is that a reasonable proposition? It's uh, it's an interesting question, isn't it? But uh, I, I, my own personal belief, Gary, is that history speaks for itself. And um, respectfully, I'd say it's the uninformed that would see Jesus as a myth just like Santa. In fact, only recently I was speaking with someone that is reasonably well-educated that didn't believe that Jesus actually existed. Yeah. So there are a couple of things here. Um, proving that Jesus existed, I think, is is... Beyond doubt, it's very credible. It's actually quite easy to do. Yeah, that, that, that's only proving one thing. And I think that's important to do, that he yeah. was a historical yeah. figure. The next thing is to say, was he who he said he was? Was yeah. he really yeah. God in yeah. human form? Yeah. But, but Gary, um, outside of uh, the Bible, uh, what sort of evidence would we, would we find of uh, Jesus? Yeah, look, David, this is one of the things that a lot of people don't actually realize that if you actually jump into, um, the, what I would call the extra biblical sources, you know, sometimes, um, as, as Christians, we tend to function a great deal on the, the biblical sources. You know, we can read what Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, all of these wonderful characters in the New Testament, what they uh, actually said. Now, of course, uh, their uh, material can be substantiated just by the sheer number of manuscripts that we have got of their particular uh, uh, Gospels. Mm. Uh, so they are actually reliable historical sources uh, in addition to everything else that we actually have out there. But sometimes, you know, I, the thing that I find is that it's so important to even pick up sometimes what your, uh, what your enemies uh, actually or, or, say or non-believers, uh, yeah, absolutely. non-believers, because mm. you know if they are saying something, uh, they've they've got a, a bias that goes against the you know we must support Christianity. You know, I mean, sometimes people think, you know, oh, the gospel writers they're here to sell us Christianity, and because they're here to sell us Christianity, they're just inventing a wonderful story so that we will buy what we've got. It's less credible, yeah, exactly. Would, exactly, they would argue, yeah, and yet there are some people in the uh, historians from the New Testament days that you look at and you just turn around and say, "Wow, these guys don't like." In fact, in one or two cases, they actually hate. Christians with an absolute vengeance. Mm. And uh, what they've written, though, is really, really significant. And um, I don't, have you heard of uh, Cornelius Tacitus? Yes, I have. A famous historian, wasn't he? A Roman historian. In fact, Gary, and I know you're going to share something about him, but um, Encyclopedia Britannica refers to him as probably the greatest historian that wrote in the Latin language. Mm, that's right. So that's this right. is Encyclopedia Britannica saying this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, Tacitus is regarded, uh, certainly by contemporary historians, as probably being the greatest historian of that, uh, of that particular, uh, generation. He actually lived from about the year 55, 56, somewhere in there, and, and died around about 118, which means that Tacitus is actually a contemporary of, uh, uh, many of the disciples. Okay, he was probably 
probably a little bit younger, uh, but uh, disciples like uh, like John uh, were probably around. You know, were probably still alive. Mm. Uh, in fact, would certainly. Well, well, well John would, certainly was. Were certainly still alive while Tacitus is alive. So Tacitus is probably born about twenty five years to thirty years after Jesus's death. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which, so, is, which is really important. This is first generational type type stuff. He's still close enough to the original sources mm. to be able to pick to pick it up. And uh, uh, most contemporary historians say that he's uh, probably the best of the ancient Roman historians. But significantly, this is one fellow who absolutely despised Christians. He hated Christians with an absolute vengeance and. And um, this, is, this is what he said. Neither human effort nor the emperor's generosity nor the placating of the gods ended the scandalous belief that the fire, he's talking here about uh, the, fi- the fire that was set, some say, some say by uh, Nero in, in Rome, uh, because uh, Nero, um, so the story goes, uh, started to blame the Christians mm. uh, for this particular, particular event. Uh, but neither the placating of the gods ended the scandalous belief that the fire had been ordered by Nero. Therefore, to put down that rumour, Nero substituted as culprits and punished in the most unusual ways those uh, he hated for their shameful acts, whom the crowd called Christians, the founder of this name, Christ, Christus in Latin, had been executed in the reign of, in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Suppressed for a time, the deadly superstition erupted again, not only in Judea, the origin of this evil, but also in the city of Rome, where all things horrible and shameful from everywhere seem to come together and become popular. Now, to me, uh, this this particular passage—it's actually I've actually picked that up from uh, uh, one of uh, one of his his works, as it's been translated by uh, uh, Princeton uh, University. Mm. But um, Cornelius Tacitus, uh, what does this tell us? from this enemy of Christianity. Well, firstly, it tells us that Tacitus uh, accepted that Christ did exist. He is very re- he's an enemy of Christianity, but he accepts he acknowledges he acknowledges he believes that uh, Christ existed. He believes that a movement associated with Christ did arise. He believed that Christ was executed by the Roman governor of Judea and that Christ's death occurred during the reign of Tiberius under Pontius Pilate. Now, this is really important because this confirms what Scripture says about Pilate and also about the reign of of Tiberius. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, for people who are looking for extra-biblical sources who are saying, look, you know, I mean, these um, uh, these gospel writers, perhaps they're trying to sell us a story, but, you know, just that's just like Santa Claus. You know, it, you know it, it's not really true. You know, it's Jesus at the North Pole type, type mm. stuff. Uh, here we find an enemy. 
uh, turning around saying, no, 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 no. This uh, is something that really did occur. And there are other historians as well, weren't they, outside of Scripture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look that's very true. I mean, uh, to me, you pick up, uh, you know, uh, historians like uh, like Josephus. And uh, this is uh, now Josephus, of course, is another uh, um, historian who, again, didn't like uh, Christianities, uh, Christianity. And this is what, what he said. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received truth with pleasure. He drew over to him many Greeks and many of the uh, uh, many of the Jews. That man was the Christ. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross upon this impeachment by the principal men amongst us, those who loved him from the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive on the third day. The divine prophets having spoken these and thousands of other wonderful things about him. Now, it's certainly very true that um, if you talk to the, um, the contemporary historian, uh, what, what they, they will suggest to you is that uh, possibly there is uh, some thought that some of these words may have been inserted by a later Christian editor uh, simply because he's he the style changes mm. within uh, within the the form itself and interpretation starts to take place but significantly that's not true for the entire passage uh, they believe that the majority of that passage is actually uh, authentic mm. uh, going back to Josephus uh, but that the interpretive aspects may have been inserted but the point is is that uh, even uh, even there you know he's able to we, he actually concludes by saying and even now the race of christians so named from him has not died out and that's found in josephus in the antiquities uh, 1833 uh, and uh, you, you sort of look at that and you just simply say wow i mean this is i know that i actually went and purchased myself at home the uh, I've actually got uh, Josephus because there's a number of different things that Josephus says that are highly instructive, that really build uh, what the scriptures are actually revealing. Mm. This is really good, Gary. Yeah, and look, just if I can just sort of just say one other uh, one other thing because I'm just really really conscious that uh, I I love this uh, this particular um, um, statement. Uh, this actually comes from scholarship. Now, I was reading some time ago. I was actually reading the um, uh, an article: uh, Did Jesus exist? Searching for evidence beyond the Bible. Now, significantly, this comes from Bar, which is the Biblical Archaeological Review. Uh, January, February 2015. Now, the Bar or the Biblical Archaeological Review is the journal of archaeologists. This is, mm. uh, you know, I mean, scholarship tends to work through journals. And this is the one for archaeologists. And this is the one, this is the respected one. Mm. Uh, this has to be peer-reviewed before you actually get uh, to, to, to uh, sub- submit an article to this particular magazine. And um, uh, we actually, uh, in 2015, um, did Jesus exist searching for evidence beyond the Bible? Biblical Archaeological Review, January, February 2015, uh, simply uh, said this. As far as we know, this was the climax of the article, as far as we know, no ancient per- person ever seriously argued that Jesus did not exist. Uh, to the first several centuries of the Common Era, even a scholar as cautious and as thorough as Robert Van Voist uh, freely observes no pagans or Jews who opposed Christianities denied Jesus' historicity or even questioned it. He then continued, 
non-denial of Jesus' existence is particularly notable in the rabbinic writers of those first several centuries. If anybody in the ancient world had a reason to dislike the Christian faith, it was the rabbis. To argue successfully that Jesus never existed but was a creation of early Christians would have been the most effective polemic against a Christianity. Yet all the Jewish sources treated Jesus as a fully historical person. The rabbis used the real events of Jesus' life against him. Thus, his birth, his ministry and his death occasioned claims that his birth was illegitimate, that he performed miracles by evil magic, that he encouraged apostasy, that he was justly executed for his own sins. But they do not question his existence. And really, even in those things like uh, the miracles he did and, and those sorts of things is actually confirming... What Jesus said about himself. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, and, and this is where to me, I actually get really excited because, uh, you know, I can, I can, I can read the word of God. I can read the scriptures. I can see what the gospel writers are saying. I believe they are historical sources. They are founded on a solid base. You know, the thing I'm excited about faith is that faith actually has to have a solid base. It has to have a reasons. It's not a blind walk in the park it's or not a step blind, into never, nothing. ever, ever, ever. And the moment you turn around, you look for the extra biblical source. All it does is gives even more confirmation of what uh, the Word of God does actually say. Yeah, but David, look, let's come to some uh, some music. I'm conscious that our time's already starting to to run away. Uh, this is uh, uh, Roscoe uh, Johnny and uh, We Three Kings. Please uh, enjoy this uh, this beautiful uh, this beautiful little little rendition. Yeah. 
Johnny Roscoe and uh, we three three kings. It is the Christmas season uh, once again. Now, folks, we do have that giveaway book uh, for you once again. Uh, that giveaway book is entitled uh, "Knowing Jesus, Knowing God" by David Marshall, and uh, this book is all about Jesus. It reveals him personally, uh, the reasons why we can believe in him and depend on him, and how we can accept his salvation. Knowing Jesus, knowing God. Now, folks, look. If you would like your own copy of this particular book. All you need to do is to uh, text us. Now, our studio text number is 04-888-808-11. That number again is 04-888-808-11. And in your text, all you need to do is to put five digits, SA-150, SA-150. Send that to 04 888 80811 and uh, that'll go through to our robot and uh, he'll come back to you just ask you just a couple of simple questions so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible 048880811 and uh, that code again is SA150 I believe you'll greatly love that uh, that book. Uh, now, folks, you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And my co-host today is Pastor David Butcher, and he's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in uh, South Australia. And this week, uh, we're following the Christmas theme, and today we're asking that question, is Jesus a myth? Like uh, Santa. Uh, now, David, look, if you can bring it all together for us, because we're coming to the top of the hour, we've got ten minutes or so to uh, uh, to go. Uh, look, does a, does the scripture say anything else about uh, the authenticity of Jesus Christ? Yeah, look, it does, Gary. And um, earlier this week, we've uh, looked at some of the prophecies dealing with Jesus. I just want to refresh us with one of those. It's in Micah five two. And um, it talks about Jesus. Let, 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 me, let me read that to you. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So it, it, this is written about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And it actually predicts 700 years prior where Jesus would would be born. Bethlehem Ephratah. There were two Bethlehems, mm-hmm. and it's specifically naming this particular one. And it actually says there that out of Bethlehem Ephratah, there would be one who whose comings forth were from everlasting. In other words, Jesus 
existed prior. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and Gary, that's just one example of about 300 messianic prophecies predicting, uh, talking about Jesus. And there was a mathematician and an astronomer by the name of Peter Stoner. He died in 19... 19- uh, 80, I believe it was, and he wrote a, a book called, and I'll dig that out in a minute, um, The Science Speaks or something. Let me see. Science Speaks. And uh, this is what he talked about, about the probability of some of these prophecies coming uh-huh. true. And he basically said that it's, or he didn't say, this is what he said, it's been estimated that the probability of one man, this is Jesus, fulfilling eight of the Old Testament prophecies is one in ten to the power of 17. Now, I don't get that. Mm. But this is explaining it. That's the same as someone being able to correctly predict the toss of a coin 56 times in a row. Wow. 56 times for just eight of 300 prophecies prophecies to be fulfilled. He goes on to say that uh, if you were to look at 48 of the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, if you looked at them, that's the same in mathematics of um, 1 in 10 to the power of 157 that's that's uh, with 157 zeros after that, which is equivalent of one person being able to guess correctly the toss of a coin 521 times in a row. Whoa. And that's just predicting 48 of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and he fulfilled more. But for me, Gary, the, the, key, uh, the key with um, evidence for Jesus is not on the virgin birth, but uh, as powerful that is, it's not on the prophecies that he fulfilled, as powerful mm-hmm. as that is. Mm-hmm. It's on his resurrection. Mm-hmm. Because the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, he says, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Mm-hmm. In other words, everything ultimately rests on his resurrection. The credibility of Christianity stands or falls on this fact. Without the resurrection, there would have been no Christian church. And um, Jesus, interestingly, staked his whole claim uh, to people's belief on his resurrection as well. Mm. Uh, John 2, 18 to 22. John chapter 2 says, So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. Then the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Mm. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So Jesus is uh, staking his own um, uh, divinity yeah. on yeah. his resurrection. Indeed. And so, Gary, the, the big question is, when Jesus died, his, uh, his body was put in the tomb. Of, of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. It wasn't put in the tomb of someone unknown. So mm. right there from the beginning, um, it would have been known where Joseph of Arimathea's tomb was. Mm. Uh, and it was that of a rich person. Mm. So it's not like some place that people wouldn't have known about, yeah, yeah, hidden in yeah, the back yeah. blocks. It was a well-known um, location because of who Joseph Arimathea was. The question is, though, we know the story, as, as told in Matthew, that um, uh, on, on Sunday morning, first day of the week, uh, an angel comes down, the tomb, the stone is rolled away, and the guards around the tomb fell to the ground like dead men with the brightness of an angel. Mm. Now, we do know that uh, 
on the Friday of Jesus' resurrection, before the Sabbath, uh, when he was crucified, he, he, he had died a natural, well, not a natural death, it was unnatural. But he didn't need to have his legs broken or no bones broken, which fulfilled prophecy. He died. Uh, a spear was thrust through his side and water and blood came rushing out. And the Jewish leaders approached Pilate and said, listen, we've heard these stories about uh, what his disciples have said. Can we have a guard? Pilate gave permission for a Roman guard, not a, not a temple guard, but a Roman guard to protect the tomb. This was a hundred people. Up to a hundred people, hardened, seasoned soldiers. And Gary, let me tell you, there was about 20 odd reasons why soldiers could be put to death. Mm. By, by their commanders. One of them was for falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. Now, if one of those soldiers fell asleep, you can understand it, but not a hundred. Yeah. Uh, so who took Jesus' body? Because we know in the story of Matthew, uh, they rush early Sunday morning back to the Jewish headquarters, and the Jews would have been, well, the Jewish leaders, I should say, would have been celebrating that this upstart has been put to death. The soldiers rush in, hardened men know how to know for certain that someone's dead. They're not scared of anything. They come in and they say, he's risen. And the Jewish leaders hatch a plan to say that his disciples stole his body. Yeah, yeah. And you and you just see how absolutely ludicrous that was because how does even a dozen men, uh, unarmed men, gather together? How do they overcome a, a full century, a hundred uh, Rome, fully armed soldiers who are guarding a dead? Can you imagine And these those? are fishermen and tax collectors and you name it. They've got yeah, no idea. They're not trained. No. And so who could have taken it? Would it have been the Romans? Well, they had no reason to steal the body since they wanted to keep peace in Palestine. Pilate didn't want an uprising, so he didn't want it to get out that there was, you know, this guy had risen from the dead. Um, he wanted to keep things quiet. What about the Jews? Well, um, would they have taken the body? That would be the last thing that they wanted was for his disciples to proclaim that a resurrection had taken place. Um, and they are the ones that asked for the guard around the tomb in Matthew 27. Um, what about the disciples? Well, they had no reason to steal the body um, because they were in trauma. Uh, they were together in a room with a door barred for fear of the Jews, the Gospel of John tells us. They were traumatized. Mm. They had lost all hope. But then suddenly that hope is restored on Sunday, first day of the week, on his resurrection, when Jesus appears to them. What an amazing story. A and um, they had no reason to steal a dead body because if they did, they later died for something they knew to be completely untrue. And moreover, the religion which they proclaimed emphasized telling truth and not lying. And, and so not only that, Gary, and I know we need to, to finish, not only that, but essentially um, the Bible talks about at least 500 other people yeah. that yeah. Uh, witnessed and, and were there that saw the resurrected Christ. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And look, you know, David, this is the, the evidence is something that is difficult to gainsay. You know, I, I think of uh, a piece of uh, um, poetry that was written a number of years ago, and I'd just like to finish with this if I can. It's actually entitled One Solitary Life because I believe it sums up the life of Jesus Christ so incredibly well. He was a man born of an obscure village in the, as the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in an obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never travelled. 
except in his infancy more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While he was still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his seamless robe. When he was dead, he was taken down from the cross. He was laid in a borrowed grave through the courtesy of a friend. Twenty wide centuries have come and gone, and today he's still the centrepiece of the human race. He is the leader of all human progress. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of humanity upon this earth as powerfully as this one, a solitary life. My friends, I'm just wondering, uh, this Christmas week, would you just like to like to pray? Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you right now, I want to say thank you for what you have given us in the life of Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray that as a new year approaches, uh, that uh, our dedication to Jesus Christ might be stronger, uh, deeper, and uh, more, uh, and filled with more understanding. Uh, Lord, I pray if there's anyone who is struggling this Christmas season, that, Lord, you'd be with them by your Spirit. May they sense your support. And may they see your hope. May they discover your rest. Lord, these things we ask, and we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, friends, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Hugh and Pastor Fabiano join us as Pastor Hugh asks, is the Virgin Perth, is that a reasonable proposition? Really look forward to your joining us then. But until then, please remember, Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give. Isn't like the peace that the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. May our God abundantly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.